Welcome back to Mastering Metail, a podcast masterclass brought to you by Flywheel Digital. Today, we're covering Walmart Marketplace, which, if you're a longtime fan of the show, was actually covered in our Walmart Masterclass series over a year ago. But we are back because now, Walmart Marketplace expansion is a significant initiative from Walmart. I even have my own proof of this after attending the Walmart Seller Summit back at the end of August in Las Vegas. In this episode, we're going to discuss Walmart's overall ambitions and reasoning regarding the push for Marketplace, and we're going to talk about the different types of Marketplace relationships that can exist between Walmart and sellers, vendors, and or suppliers. And don't worry, we will explain all of those terms throughout the episode too. My name is Emma Irwin, your host for this series, and I'm a senior editor and specialist at Flywheel Digital. Let's meet our Walmart Marketplace expert guests, who you may remember from a previous episode. My name is Ryan Monaghan. I'm the Vice President of Walmart Client Services. We're coming back to our original questions from Mastering Meatail. Last thing, purchased from Walmart. And I'm pretty sure the last time we talked, it was like a steak. And <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious what it is this time around. I ordered a uh, a true like ship to home, true e-com online only order. And it was a Bluetooth slide advancer and laser pointer. Sometimes I go on the road and do presentations and I get to stand in front of people and advance PowerPoint slides. And it was much more professional if I could do it with like a clicker instead of running over to my computer. So True that. And then you can like walk around and engage better. Put on a show. <laughs> <laughs> Next one for you, the digital wish list. I don't actually remember what was on your digital wish list from the last time around. But I'm curious if you remember, have you purchased that thing now or is it something else? No, the digital witch list from last time was a good dry age steak. And uh, I still haven't seen that on Walmart's assortment yet. But <laughs> So I mixed them, that, the digital <laughs> wish list. Yeah, I don't, I don't, last time I don't think I remembered what I last I purchased from Walmart. But no, we do our, our normal grocery shopping runs from Walmart. And I drive past a physical Walmart every day on my way home from work. So I'm a brick and mortar guy for the most part. But in the business world, I'm an e-com guy. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. You do for our audience. I've been hanging out in Arkansas for a while, and I think I passed by like six Walmarts on my way home. It's pretty incredible. Uh, 90% of Americans live within a mile of Walmart, and we live within a mile of nine of them. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, we're adding in a question this time, but it's just, what is your favorite thing about Walmart? My favorite thing about Walmart is what it's done for the community of Bentonville and, and Northwest Arkansas. We talked about this last time, like incredible, feel incredibly blessed to live here after growing up in New Jersey. It's a great place to raise a family. It's a great place to ride bikes, <laughs> which I've gotten into a lot more recently. And it's provided just an incredible economic, cultural, natural community for a lot of diverse backgrounds. And um, it's a great place to raise a family. So I'm lucky to be here. It really is. Like, it's so cool how this area has been built up. I'm glad you got the chance to experience it as a semi-native Arkansan for a couple of weeks here. Yes, of course. All right. Today, we are talking about Walmart Marketplace. And I think a good way to kind of start this off is I want to know what your definition of a marketplace actually is. At the highest level, it's a place where sellers sell things and buyers buy things. So, in that case, the Walmart that I drive past on my way home from work every day is a marketplace where different vendors show their goods and shoppers come in and buy them. Obviously, you know our business is around the digital marketplace and most of what we know and love there is a digital extension of the brick and mortar store, but that environment and that marketplace is, is rapidly evolving. And in just like the four years that I've been focused on Walmart Digital, we've seen that shift and change probably for the better. I think holistically, it's a free marketplace and competition is good for the end consumer. Agreed. Okay. So 
obviously, I think it's no surprise that, you know, Walmart Marketplace, from our perspective, is going to operate differently from the marketplace that Amazon has versus Target versus really anyone. Can you give me a high level overview of what makes Walmart's Marketplace unique? Yeah, Walmart's Marketplace is unique because they have vendors and sellers. And and we'll get a little bit more into the definition of both of those. But Walmart has access to vendors that are set up differently from a supply chain standpoint, from a pricing standpoint, from an assortment standpoint. And that runs a certain model of commerce. Of course, Amazon has contracted suppliers as well, does Target, every other hybrid retailer, both brick and mortar and, and, and online. But obviously, you know, Walmart as a brick and mortar chain came to prominence by mastering the art of negotiation with those approved and contracted vendors and recently has added the the seller element. And a seller is somebody who, you know, has a product to offer. And the retailer essentially hosts it and finds buyers for that seller. But the way that that inventory is purchased goes from the seller to the retailer to the consumer is different in a what we would call a, a digital marketplace as opposed to that brick and mortar kind of first party seller agreement. For sure. And so with all of that, let's break down some terminology because even being here, I've been like, okay, it has taken me weeks to actually realize what someone is saying because terminology is just different across Amazon, Target, Walmart, whoever. And so before we recorded, you kind of gave me these three sort of terminologies that kind of are different. That's 1P versus 3P, supplier versus seller, and then kind of digital versus in-store. And so I'm wondering, because you kept mentioning vendor, so you chose the vendor term, but is a vendor equivalent to a supplier? Yeah, I would say those terms are synonymous. And then a supplier slash vendor is set up as 1P. That's correct. And something I am actually curious is in the Walmart world, do all 1P suppliers, vendors have in-store representation? Is that like a requirement? Yeah, I would say so. So the definition of a 1P vendor is someone that has an agreement, a negotiated and agreed upon agreement with Walmart, with the retailer. Those agreements include things like net payment terms and SLAs and fulfillment times. And within those contracts, if you if you violate any of those terms on time and in full and and shipping speed and all that, it comes with fines, right? And those both parties enter that agreement knowing the upside and the risk, but it's all very well documented. Again, the traditional model is sellers negotiate with a buyer and that creates an agreement where pricing is fairly static. Retail is always at the sole discretion of the retailer, but the margin built into that cost and retail structure is is very well known and negotiated and agreed upon. And at that point, for all intents and purposes, the retailer can order as much as they want from the vendor. And that powers the inventory that you see in 4,700 Walmart brick and mortar stores across the country. Perfect. So something I've learned being in Arkansas is that when we're talking about sellers, we usually are referring to like brands that are set up as 3P on Walmart's marketplace. When we're in Amazon world, usually when we say sellers, we mean like the random reseller in their garage. And so that's kind of a different terminology. But can you like further define seller and like different areas of being a seller? Yeah, essentially a seller means that the retailer doesn't take possession of the inventory until the consumer says they want to buy it. And that's where, you know, we talk about Walmart marketplace. Walmart owns the domain of walmart.com, which is a very popular site. And they've opened up this marketplace to all different types of sellers that have 
items that Walmart consumers want to buy. And that relationship is different in that Walmart's not saying, give me a million units of this and I'll dole it out to consumers as they purchase it. Walmart says, I'm happy to offer this assortment to my shoppers. And when the shopper says that they want to buy it, we'll negotiate a financial agreement that works for both of us. Obviously, it costs money to run walmart.com and by selling products on it, Walmart expects profit from those transactions. But like I said, on, on the vendor side, that profit is negotiated up front and those units of inventory are transferred upon that agreement. On the seller side, the margin, the profit really isn't delivered to Walmart books until the consumer buys the item. So that's when the transfer of money happens once the consumer clicks buy and transacts online. And so that kind of leads me into wondering, we know that there has been a push from Walmart to expand their assortment and catalog on Marketplace. Is that a more profitable move for Walmart? Is that what really is kind of like leading that push? For all intents and purposes, yes. A Marketplace sale will be more profitable than a 1P sale because depending on how the inventory is fulfilled, there's a lot of situations in which Walmart really doesn't handle the inventory until a sale is made or doesn't pay for the inventory kind of a consignment model, but it reduces risk of over inventorying from the retailer. And yes, in general, a unit sold through Marketplace will have a little bit more profit than a unit sold through brick and mortar or a 1P agreement. Is it also more profitable for the seller selling the product? It depends. That's where we get into the world of WFS, Walmart Fulfillment Services. And you know, Walmart's the master of negotiation and they are going to find ways to make sure that they continue to grow not only top line, but bottom line, regardless of how the unit is fulfilled. So what WFS terms and conditions are constantly changing and updating. They're adding more services. And with that investment in different models and better fulfillment methods, ultimately to serve the consumer in a faster, better way. Yeah, they're, they're building in levels of profit that allow them to invest in that type of business at scale and, and make that a, a significant piece of their overall business. All right, so now we know all about what we mean by marketplace, Walmart's marketplace ambitions, and some of the more logistical elements of a marketplace with some term definitions in there as well. So let's start talking about the relationships between those who sell goods and Walmart. Pre-recording, Ryan gave me three key types of relationships to cover. So here he is breaking down these three for us. The most traditional relationship is the first party in-store vendor. Again, that's how Walmart came from one store in Bentonville, Arkansas to 4,700 stores across the US and across the globe. And that is uh, where a buyer buys products and they're housed in store. And essentially Walmart has all the access to the inventory that they need. That model has extended to online as every item in brick and mortar is or should now be available through pickup and delivery, transacted via the website, fulfilled through brick and mortar locations. The next is the 3P marketplace. And the majority of that is fulfilled by Walmart. So I manufacture the unit, the consumer says they want to buy it. At that point, Walmart buys the inventory from me and we fulfill it to the consumer. Say the third level, is you know you mentioned kind of garage brands and you know that's what that is one of the cool things about walmart right if you have an innovative idea nothing is stopping you from listing it on walmart.com and showing it to the millions and billions of consumers that traffic that site every day 
it's expensive to ship, right? And if you want to do it on your own and you can find a way profitably to get the unit from your manufacturing site to the consumer, it's possible. That is the smallest percentage of business because you get economics of scale and Walmart fulfillment services provide incredible amount of scale. The larger you get, the more often or the more likely you are to be fulfilling through a Walmart or third-party logistics entity. Perfect. I'm actually, we're going to dive into those in the backwards order that you just went, but I'm going to go off of okay. what we those were just talking about. Those weren't one sentences. Do you, do you want me to try no, to do? No, okay. you are all good. <laughs> all right. That was helpful. But I'm kind of curious, if you're purely 3P, is there ever potential for you to go and Walmart to be like, hey, that's incredibly successful. We want to bring your products in store, set up a 1P relationship? Absolutely. I, I think that's the goal for non-vendor sellers is to eventually get so popular where you get you force Walmart to say, I want to negotiate terms and conditions and a, and a vendor agreement with you so that we have greater access to your inventory, so that we can plan our business together, so that we both continue to profit at a higher percentage and a higher scale from the products that consumers want. Would you say that like getting your products onto a Walmart shelf is like the holy grail of what you can do as someone that sells products? For somebody who's tried to sell products to Walmart for the last 15 years, yes, (laughs) I, I would say it's the holy grail. I don't know if every seller would say that. Sometimes scale is a drug. Uh, you get addicted to increased orders, but that's when Walmart is really good at leveraging their scale with vendors. So the biggest vendors in the world, Coke and P&G, are really adept at that negotiation game. If you start as a garage seller and you work your way into a WFS agreement and your product continues to sell and continues to grow and you do get in-store distribution, if you're not ready to play that game at that level, you can lose that game. I won't say Walmart is trying to Walmart Walmart is definitely not trying to put anybody out of business, but it's their job to make sure that they can buy that product from you for the least amount of money so they can sell it to the consumer for the least amount of money so they can sell as many units as possible. EDLP is pretty proven to work at this point in their world, in their setup. And if you're not prepared to play the EDLP game, you might not win it. The opportunity to sell on Marketplace comes with the ability to dictate pricing in a way that doesn't come with the scale of in-store distribution, but provides the seller a little bit more flexibility. You know what time it is. Acronym definition time, EDLP. If you are deeply intertwined in the world of Walmart, this is a familiar term. But for those of us who came from literally any other background, EDLP stands for Everyday Low Pricing. Thank you. You are welcome. Moving into one of the other relationships, I think like you have a small 1P presence and then you're kind of as a brand thinking, well, I sell a lot more products. I make a lot more products. What opportunities exist with Marketplace in that regard? Yeah, this is actually the scenario in which we're seeing the most amount of opportunity right now. You are a agreed upon vendor to Walmart. You know what that world is. You understand how scale affects your business and how to keep up with that scale and that growth. But like you said, you have 
assortment that doesn't meet the hurdle rates of in-store distribution and the quote-unquote endless aisle of walmart.com then becomes a really important piece of your strategy, an outlet for expanding your assortment. And it's important to the seller and to the retailer. I want to sell as many things as possible. Walmart wants to sell as many things as possible too. If you're looking for the most nuanced, most niche product from a supplier, and it's not on Walmart, you're going to go to another website, another retailer to find that. And if Walmart already has an agreement and a, a relationship with that supplier, why wouldn't they expand that assortment to everything the manufacturer makes? Manufacturers making it for a reason. They believe consumers want this product and Walmart's in the business of fulfilling the desires of all its consumers. So the ability to extend your assortment through the endless aisle of walmart.com has traditionally been a tactic of that mid-level supplier. The Cokes and the P&Gs of the world, for the most part, have other outlets for their full assortment. Their full assortment exists for to be tailored for outlets other than mass retail. But we're seeing now the big suppliers really gravitate, gravitating towards setting up 3P seller storefronts, essentially. It's taken a little while, but the Cokes, the P&Gs, the Unilevers of the world are so sophisticated that they were going to figure this out eventually. And now through an evolution of strategy and an evolution of the marketplace, there really is a, a, a world in which every 1P supplier should have 3P capabilities. Now, we talked about the logistics end of this being the wild card or the linchpin to making it all come together. And as that marketplace of service providers evolves, different options the, the amount of different options available to you now are making it very possible and smart for the big manufacturers to wade into the 3P marketplace arena. So marketplace is no longer a collection of garage sellers. Marketplace is the best assortment you can find in the world fulfilled how you want it, at the price you want it for, at the shipping speed you want it for, and that is drawing from independent manufacturers doing dropship. It's being pulled from Walmart fulfillment services and Walmart warehouses. And it's being pulled from those 4,700 warehouses and points of distribution across the country that you can also walk in the front door and get your steak from. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking through as you were talking, like there's so much opportunity on Marketplace for the big suppliers. And then I was like, well, what if they all just start, we're like, well, I want to turn my whole business into a 3P model. But then I was like, well, no, really, like you need to have in-store representation, especially at Walmarts across the country. And I was like, okay, Emma, that they're not going to lobby together and yeah. all move to a 3P. I don't know. It'd be an interesting experiment if they did. But no, the, the ability to ship an entire truckload, an entire pallet to a Walmart distribution center that has tried and true routes and logistics built to the stores is still the most efficient model because the consumer is driving themselves to that store, walking through the door, picking the products themselves, creating their basket, in a lot of cases, self-checking out, right? So there is very little overhead in that model. The consumer, the shopper bears a lot of that burden. And that's where just online shopping in general, however you want it fulfilled, has turned that traditional model on its head. And obviously COVID emphasized or exacerbated that trend. And out of that now, we didn't go back to only brick and mortar shopping. That behavior has stuck. 
And we're, what, two years into this now. And again, the market has evolved such that there are different models available and hybrid models. And people are starting to figure out through trial and error, but also through some really unique innovation, what works and what doesn't. And now, if you're the biggest of the big or the smallest of the small, there is a proven model available to you. It's just, are you going to adapt your business to fit into that model rather than trying to make the model fit you? Gotcha. One of my favorite things, this is like a, it's semi-related to kind of get us concluding. But one of my favorite things was, I mean, I'm sure you are familiar with the time when the Walmart app was like sort of dot com and then grocery was on of on its own little blue world. app and orange app. Yeah, it was very difficult to figure out what I was doing. And that was I think that was back when I was in college, but I was studying retail and I was like, this should not be that hard for me to figure out. This is my career field that I'm picking. Yeah. But one of my favorite things that Walmart did was like, hey, that was not a great customer experience and put it all together because as the consumer all you really care about is like how fast is it going to get to me and i think some people do actually look at what the ships and sold says but a lot don't a lot more industry people do than than i think (laughs) the average consumer but i mean you bring up a great point think about just two years ago this whole online or in-store assortment online had to be facilitated through an entirely different app on your phone Walmart came to prominence, became the world's largest retailer through brick and mortar distribution. And just bolting on an e-commerce business is not easy. The logistics, the ordering systems, the pricing systems for in-store business are totally different than online. And it's not as easy as just saying, oh, I have an endless aisle, endless distribution, endless assortment through search results. It's yeah, you can have it. There can be a picture of it and a PDP and a price, but does the consumer react to it? And it's taken a long time, I don't know, call it 10 years since Walmart's been on this e-commerce journey to create one app, create a seamless experience, create a marketplace where whatever you want, however quickly you want it, and through whatever method you want it delivered to you or obtained by you, it's there. And the consumer is reacting you know, all of the latest quarterly earnings releases say the retail industry is thriving because of, yes, e-commerce sales, but those those sales are propped up by or supported by or made possible by an infrastructure and network of carriers and warehouses and just a whole new era of logistics that is more complicated and sometimes riskier, but that's where innovation happens. Product innovation has happened for decades and will continue to happen forever. Logistic and fulfillment innovation is a really interesting market right now. Agreed. And I used to find it kind of boring, not going to lie. But as I learn more and more, and I'm like, nope, that's actually kind of crazy and interesting. And It's boring when it just shows up and you don't think about it. Yes. (laughs) Boring is good to the consumer, but for, again, the industry of people making this happen, making Walmart or allowing Walmart to sell items is not boring. It's 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 changing, it's intelligent, it's innovative, and it can make shipping sexy. Hey. <laughs> Title of the episode, forget the marketplace. I'm naming it. Let's make shipping sexy. Okay. Any kind of key takeaways, and I'd love for you to kind of take it from the perspective of just like 
key takeaways for sellers or suppliers, kind of thinking about marketplace, ways to grow, et cetera. For suppliers, it's continuing to innovate, continuing to understand what the consumer wants, what the consumer's need is, and creating products to fit those needs. That's ultimately how you're going to continue to grow. But once you have that innovation, once you've designed that product, there is this second phase of how do I get it to the consumer? And that's also shopper insights, right? Shopper insights have been what color do they prefer? What scent do they prefer? What form do they prefer? Now it's how are the shoppers looking for this product going to want it fulfilled to them? If it's a frozen item, of course, it's going to rely more on in-store distribution. But if it's a durable good, depending on the category, the need state of the consumer, they may want it in one day. They might be okay waiting three days, depending on the size, depending on the weight, depending on the price. So this is where industries are colliding. Shopper research and shopper marketing and logistics, innovation and packaging design and shipping, all that. It's all evolving. Boom. Okay. To wrap us up, we're coming back to what's currently on your digital wish list, if anything. On my digital wish list right now are probably a bunch of bike accessories. Getting back into riding my bike. I won't, I won't call it cycling yet. I'm still in the riding my bike phase. Um, <laughs> I like so, that distinction. <laughs> I'm not a, not yet a cyclist, but uh, looking at yeah, just different bike parts and accessories and things to make it more comfortable when I'm riding in this 100 degree heat and trying to get a little exercise. Yeah. I hate bikes and biking, but being here for a while, I'm like, mm, they're on to something out here. You try it once, you get hooked. And that wraps up our Walmart Marketplace episode. Thank you to Ryan for sharing his expertise with us once again. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your network so that more people can learn too. Ryan actually was part of our Walmart Masterclass series where he covered organic search. So you should go back in the Mastering Retail feed and listen to that episode too. I've been your host, Emma Irwin, and this episode was produced by Klaus Cancel with sound design by Enos Satenji. We will see you next time. Like what you're hearing? If you'd be interested in partnering with Flywheel to grow your e-commerce business, we have an offer for a potential audit of your catalog on Walmart, Amazon, or Target from the Flywheel team. They are always curious to dive into media strategies and content optimizations, so reach out today by emailing us at audit at flywheeldigital.com.